Have you ever experienced what I like to call the car you like effect? Where, have you ever seen a car you really like? You, maybe you saw a commercial or maybe you bought a car and you thought, man, I've just always wanted this and maybe you even go out and buy it. I know for me, I've always dreamed of owning a four-door Toyota Tacoma. I just love that truck. I just absolutely love it. And what I've noticed is that while I'm out driving around in my little car with 311,000 miles on it, I see Toyota Tacomas everywhere. I see them at red lights, in parking lots. I see them at this church. Uh, I see them when I'm vacation. I literally see them everywhere. Probably because it's the best and most reliable vehicle out there on the road, but we, don't, we, ain't, got, we ain't got to have that theological debate. No cap around here. No cap. I ain't wearing a cap, bro. But how can it be that the vehicle that I long to possess seems to be everywhere that I look? And in that statement, in that question, lays the answer, that they're everywhere that I look. And maybe for you, you haven't always wanted a specific vehicle or a certain item, but then once you started wanting it, it's like you can't unsee it. You can't stop thinking about it. And suddenly it's everywhere. And chances are, if it's a car, they've already been zipping around you and they've been passing you. They've been at the red lights. They've been at this church. They've been on vacation. You've probably seen it, but the key is you haven't been looking for them. But why do I bring this up? Because in the same way that the vehicle that I focus on becomes the thing that I see everywhere, temptation in our life can be the thing that we see everywhere if we choose to focus on it. It'll become all that you see, honestly. And you'll feel like no matter what you do to overcome that temptation, it just always seems to rear its ugly head. It just always seems to come back. It always just seems to keep tempting you. And Pastor Mark said a few weeks ago that what we magnify, it gets magnified. So what are you magnifying? And if we put our temptation under magnification, what it does is it steals our joy and it steals our focus away from what God really wants for our life and intends for our life. And we have to come to an understanding that Jesus came to this earth and he says, hey, you guys have been magnifying sin in your life so much to the point that you're numb to it. You don't even realize that it's sin. You don't even realize that it's a temptation for you. And now I've showed up to give you a glimpse of what heaven could look like on earth. And I need you to, need you to stop magnifying sin and start magnifying me. And you've been magnifying sin in your life and in society and in culture. And even under that magnification of how much you're focusing on it, you can't see the details of the destruction that it's causing all around you. That you're so up close to it that you can't see what's going on around you in your peripherals. You can't see how messed up your life is because of it. You can't see how messed up your world is because of it. And because of that, you need to take about 50 steps back and get some perspective and some realization that you've been magnifying the wrong thing, that you've been accepting sin in your life for too long. That until your, fo your focus shifts away from yourself and shifts towards God, that this prayer of lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, it will only ever be a powerless sentiment instead of a divine plea to God as an intervention in areas of your daily struggles in your life. Because Jesus came to liberate us, church. He came to pull us out. And because we have a sickness that's called sin, it only leads to one thing, and that's death. And he declared that he's the cure. He declared that he's the way to our father in heaven. He's the rescuer in our story. He's the way for us to have a new life. And he did it all because he loves you. And when you experience that love and that liberation, 
you start to recognize some things about this world. You start to recognize all the terrible things that are in it. You start to recognize that that sex scene in that movie that you just watched, it added nothing to the plot of the story. But what it did do was it, fe- it feeds the temptation in your life to sleep around, to watch porn, to continue to lust. You start to recognize that that overindulgent lifestyle that you live in is your attempt to actually just keep up with the highlight reel and comparison that you see on social media. And so you give into that temptation you go into more debt and you do all these things that are stealing from you any kind of a, a contentment in your life that God wants you to experience. And today I believe we need to get an understanding of what temptation is so that we can avoid what's the title of my sermon today, the trap of temptation. The trap of temptation. Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. And you see, Jesus had this understanding that the enemy hated him that the enemy hates him, is going to attack him, has attacked him, will attack him. And we have to acknowledge that if their enemy is brave enough to attack the Son of God, that also means that he's definitely brave enough to attack us. But he has no authority over you. So all he can do is throw these temptations at you. And he tries to set these little traps in the form of temptation just to try to trip you up, to try and get you off track. So that begs the question, what is temptation? Is it a sin to be tempted? Is it something that I'm always going to struggle with? I'd explain it to you like this. Temptation is the invitation to engage in something that's contrary to God's will or his moral standard. It's contrary to those things. It's an invitation to engage in that. It's that attractive option. It's that, hey, if you do this, I promise that you're going to have some pleasure in it. It's that thing that appeals to your weaknesses, the things that your flesh desires. It's that feeling of power and and being in control. It's all those things that lead us away from God's path. Those are temptations. Amen, church? I need y'all to catch this today. Psalms 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light unto my path. We like to put that verse, that likes to be a tattoo verse, a life verse. We like to sing songs about that. But do you know why they use that imagery? Because back then, most towns and most uh, places, they had an open sewer system throughout their town. So at nighttime, if you didn't want to walk through, you know what? You better strap some candles to your sandals. That way, uh, (laughs) the past is going to be clearly illuminated. You hear what I'm saying? But hey, in the same way today, if you don't want to walk through some crap in your life, you need to be well equipped with the Word of God. So that when your life gets messy or temptation is just laying around, just trying to trip you up, your path will remain lit because the word of God is the thing that will guide you through it. Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation. He's praying that, Lord, I might find myself in a dark place. I might find myself in a place where temptation is right here in my face and I can't see anything else. But Lord, I'm asking you to lead me through it. Let your word be the light unto my path. And so now that we know what temptation is just an invitation to engage in something contrary to God's will or his moral standard, now we have to address the issue of sin. I already posed the question, is it a sin for me to struggle with temptation? Is it? But if it's a sin to experience temptation, then that means Jesus himself sinned, and that would invalidate Hebrews 4.15, where it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Church, temptation becomes a sin when we yield to its attraction and we act on it. 
That's when it becomes a sin. That if we know it goes against God's moral standard not to lie, and yet we do it anyways, that's sin. If we know that it goes against God's moral standard to gossip, and then we engage in it when we hear our friends gossiping about somebody, and then, oh, we want our opinion about this person to be known, if we do that, that's sin. And here's the principle that I want you to understand. Temptation is the invitation to sin, and sin is the decision to accept that invitation. It's like a mousetrap. If we need to catch a mouse in our house, what do we do? We go to the store, we buy a trap, and we don't just buy the little wooden thing and then never pull the lever back, right? We buy the little mousetrap, we pull the lever back, we put something yummy on it. Tom and Jerry taught us that it's a piece of cheese, We put it in a place where we know that the mouse wants to be at, and we invite that mouse. Hey, you just go ahead and take that bait. Just go ahead. And when that mouse can't fight the temptation of that yummy smell any longer, it steps into it, that lever snaps and releases, and all of a sudden, that mouse is trapped by its temptation. And in the same way, the devil tries to trap you by baiting you with the things that he knows you find desirable. So if we don't know God's moral standards, then we won't be able to distinguish between what's a sin and what's actually not. Therefore, we find ourselves giving in to temptation over and over again, and we sin, and now we're in the trap of temptation, and it feels like it's something that we can't get out of. So church, we have to be prayed up. We have to know our Bible. We have to know scripture. That's why the disciples wanted Jesus to teach them how to pray so that they too could resist the devil. Because back in Matthew chapter four, a couple verses, a couple chapters back, uh, it says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. (laughs) Which we could have some great discussion about this verse and how it just said that God led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I've been wrestling with this thought for three weeks now since I've been writing this sermon. All I know is this. God will never lead you into something without also leading you out of it or showing you a way out. He won't. He never leaves us. The Spirit was with Jesus the entire time. Yeah, but I thought James 1.13 says that no man should say that God is tempting me. I'd say you're right. And I don't even think that's what Matthew 4 is saying here. It says that the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. It does not say the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to tempt him. There's a big difference. And if we want to quote a a verse like James 1.12, you've also got to just look at the whole picture. And you don't start in verse 13, you start at verse 12, where it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the what? The test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I wanted to emphasize that word test because that word test is the same word used to translate the word tempted in Matthew chapter 4. And the scholars go back and forth debating on this all the time. So technically, we could read Matthew 4 as Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tested. And we read scripture in, in scripture all the time that God allows us to be tested because it produces patience. If you read James 1, we read in scripture that when we go through some stuff, it produces perseverance and perseverance uh, produces character and character produces hope. If we read Romans chapter 5, and so we read verse 12 and we get to verse 13, it says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. This is true. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but... Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth 
to death. God wasn't tempting Jesus in Matthew 4. The devil was. That's why it says in verse 2 and 3, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Go figure. 40 days. So the tempter came and attacked what was Jesus' weakness in that moment, hunger, and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And if you know this story, if you're familiar with this passage, Jesus pulls out the sword and, of the word, and he starts swinging back with Deuteronomy quotes, and he goes on the offensive because he realized that in that moment, he was in a battle. He wasn't just going to lay down and give in because he was hungry. And when the tempter comes at you and offers you all these same things that he offered Jesus, you too need to realize that you're in a battle. But our struggle is not against flesh and blood like Ephesians 6 tells us, but it's against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world. It's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that you might not even be able to see right now. And it may not be, some of you, you are in a physical battle. I get that. But for some of you, it's a much more serious battle. It's a spiritual one. And here's what the Lord said about sin in Jeremiah. The Lord said, be appalled at this, you heavens. Shudder with great horror. My people have committed two sins. One, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And two, they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This was the Lord saying uh, that the heavens look down on our depravity and our sin and our struggles, and they don't find it cute They don't find it funny, even though we like to joke about our sins sometimes. We like to joke about how we got a little bit too drunk. We like to talk about how we slept with that person, and we joke about these things, and we downplay it as if it's not a big deal at all. But this text right here shows us that heaven is appalled at that. And I need you to see Jesus here in this Old Testament verse, because this verse says that the people had forsaken the living water. They had abandoned it. And when we read the New Testament, Jesus referred to himself with the lady at the well as himself as the well of living water. That if they drink of it, if we drink of it, we will never be thirsty again. But when we sin and we forsake God, it breaks heaven's heart and they don't laugh about it. And when we give into temptations in our life, what we're doing is we're building broken cisterns that cannot hold water and will constantly remain broken and thirsty. And we won't experience the freedom that comes from resisting temptations. But the only way to start resisting those temptations is to start realizing that you're in a fight that you are in a battle, and that Jesus comes to this earth. He came to this earth to destroy the works of the enemy, according to 1 John. So therefore, you and I, we have to open up our eyes and start seeing the attacks that are coming at us in the form of temptations. But not only that, we have to look at Jesus's model of prayer that we've been studying the last several weeks. And today's verse where it says, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What he's doing is he's calling on the resources of heaven. He's calling on his father. And that's what you and I have to do because you might win a few battles under your own strength and your own might and your own power, but you will not be able to win the war without God. Because the battle of temptation isn't fought with our strength alone, but with God's power within us. That's why you need salvation. 
That's why you need the Holy Spirit inside of you so he can fight for you and with you. And once you have the power of Holy Spirit in your life, the way that you fight, it becomes different. No longer do you have to resist it under your own power. Now you have the name of Jesus Christ that you can call on. The name of Jesus Christ is on your side. So don't just resist temptation. Reject it with the authority of Christ. Because temptation loses its power when we expose it to his authority, not ours. And that's what was happening when Jesus started quoting those Deuteronomy verses. He was exposing the tempter to the authority of the word. Because the word of God was his weapon. And we have that same weapon. And when Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray, he was equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. He's equipping them for battle. But here's the other side of that battle that I don't think that we realize that we're on. Because we get so focused on the thing that we've been magnifying, right? We magnify our sin. It becomes all that we focus on. We focus more on the temptation itself rather than the thing that actually makes it a temptation. Because if we're honest in the room, what a lot of us are really battling is a lie that you've bought into that's giving the temptation power over your life. And that's the battle that you're facing. And what I'm encouraging every one of us in here to do, myself included, is to take an honest self-evaluation or either talk to somebody, get into a small group and talk about some of these things so you can get some perspective in your life. What I mean is, can you even identify why the temptation in your life is even a temptation in the first place? Because if you can't recognize that, you're not going to know how to battle it. Maybe, maybe you're in a battle with lust because the lie that you bought into is that God's plan for relationship isn't good enough, that you need to test the ride before you buy the ride. And maybe you're in a battle with anger because the lie that you bought into is that control and vengeance are both yours to have. Maybe you're in a battle with overeating. We don't ever talk about this one. Maybe you're in a battle with overeating because the lie that you bought into is that temporary happiness is found in food is better than releasing your hurt to God. Maybe you're in a battle with pride because the lie that you bought into is that you are better at controlling your situation than anybody else in this world is, including God. I want you to start identifying the deception so you can best battle it because every deception gives power to temptation. James 1.16 says, don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And maybe none of those examples that I gave just a second ago relate to you. Maybe you're like, I don't struggle with any of those. Well, maybe this one does. And let me preface it with maybe you don't even realize that this is the overall lie that you've accepted that actually feeds all of your temptations and all of your struggles. And it's the lie that God doesn't love you and that he isn't a good dad. That's your battle. Think about it. If you read a verse or you hear one of these sermons that we preach and you say something like, well, I don't think that God meant that for me. Or you say something like, well, I've seen that in, in practice for other people and it actually worked for them, but I tried the same thing and it didn't work for me. What you're really saying is God doesn't love me like he loves them. God doesn't listen to my prayers like he listens to those people. God hasn't given me the spouse that I've been asking for, so I'm just going to sleep around with whoever I want. I don't believe that he actually provides any comfort in my pain, so therefore I'm just going to keep going back to the bar. I'm going to keep going back to alcohol. I'm going to keep going back to tobacco, because when I go to the bar, at least those people listen to me. I don't think that God's hearing me. You see where I'm going with this, church? 
Because every temptation stems back to the idea that God's goodness is insufficient and that freedom can be discovered beyond his presence. That's how Satan was tempting Jesus. He was offering things to Jesus outside of the goodness of God. Pleasure, pride, power, people. These are all things that he tempts us with. We just call them something different. It's how he tempted Eve. Hey, Eve, I know God told you you don't need to eat of this tree, but don't you realize that there's more? That he's keeping something from you? He's not telling you everything? If God's so good, Eve, why isn't he giving it to you? Why is he holding back from you, Eve? Take that bite, Eve. You'll experience true freedom. Your eyes will be open. What the devil's done is he's taken the truth and he's twisted into a temptation. And maybe for you, your temptation comes down to a trust issue. That you really don't trust who God says he is. That you don't really trust what God says is true. And so you have to trust that God's goodness is sufficient and that freedom is only found in him. And that takes resilience. So that means we have to pray for resilience, just like Jesus was doing in this Lord's Prayer. Because there are going to be moments in our life that are challenging this, this notion. That anytime you have to trust that God's goodness is enough, that's going to take some resilience. All those unanswered prayers that Pastor Mark talked about last week, which if you didn't get to hear that sermon last week, you definitely need to go back and read it because it was so powerful. But when we get those unanswered prayer requests, it's going to take resilience afterwards so we can keep pushing forward. Father, we just lost our child. I don't know that I can see your goodness right now. I need resilience to not fall into the temptation to doubt you and question you and wonder if you're a good God. Lord, you say that you'll always provide for me, but why do the bills keep adding up? Why do these things my house keep breaking. I have to pay more money and more money. Lord, help me to be resilient in my trust in you that you are my provider. Lord, your word says that if I train up a child the way that they should go when they grow older, they won't depart of it. But God, they grew up in church. We prayed together every night. Now they're 35 years old and they're in jail. They're on drugs. They're running away from you. And now I'm into the temptation of I'm doubting and I'm wondering, was it all a waste of time? Lord, help me to be resilient. Church, do you see the battle? Do you see how these things are temptations for you just to give up on God? Do you see how this is an invitation to turn your trust towards something other than God? That's why we pray for resilience. And we've been walking through this prayer verse by verse. And when you face temptation and you start to pray, I want you to remember this, that every temptation is an opportunity to choose righteousness over regret. Amen. And choosing righteousness over regret takes resilience. Because anytime I've ever given into a, a temptation, I immediately experience regret. I've been doing keto. I've done, I lost a bunch of weight. And every time uh, something delicious is really tempting me, I, if I give in and I eat it, I hate it. Yep. I regret it so much. I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I find so much pleasure in that? I can't help but think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember the story, it's right before, uh, right before this, they're having the Last Supper. He's talking to the disciples. Jesus is talking to Peter, and he's like, hey, Peter, before, before the rooster crows, three times you're going to deny me tonight. 
He's talking to them all, and he's talking, hey, somebody's going to betray me. And Judas is like, surely, Lord, you're not saying that I'm going to be the one that, that's going to betray you, right? And Jesus is like, you said it. And after that, still, he takes his disciples with him to the garden to pray with him. And he invites them to come with him, fully knowing that they're about to go through a trial. They're about to go through a testing. They're about to go through a temptation. This was such an intense moment in the life of Jesus because he himself was about to face a temptation. It was so tough that verse 38 says, my soul, he said this to Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So Jesus goes away after saying that, and he comes back and The disciples are asleep. They're sleeping at one of the most crucial points in Jesus' life. He's like, guys, this is not the time to be asleep. Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what Jesus is telling them in this moment is, hey, you're about to go through a difficult moment. And what I want you to do is I want you to pray so that you don't fall into temptation. That those same temptations that when we were just having dinner and we were breaking bread and we were drinking wine and we were doing this thing, all those temptations that I said that you all are about to face, when those moments come, I want you to pray because those temptations are from the flesh. And if you want to act out of fear, if you want to act out of anxiety, if you want to act out of self-preservation and you want to deny me so that people don't turn on you, When you're faced with those temptations, all of your emotions that are running through your head, they're going to say, hey, you should do this thing that doesn't line up with God's will. And I want you to be watching for that. I want you to be alert, not sleeping on it. I want you to be prayed up so that you can resist that impulse. So he tells them, Peter, James, John, you guys prepare yourselves. And church, that's why Jesus teaches us to pray like this. That's why before they ever got to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had already modeled this in chapter 6 with the Lord's Prayer. And how sad is it that we do the same thing as the disciples? That Jesus has clearly laid out his instructions. He's given us an example for us as believers. He's taught us how to pray, and yet we fail to put it into practice, and we wonder why we struggle over and over and over again. And Jesus said, the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And before this week, it had never dawned on me that this was a direct statement towards the disciples, that this wasn't just something Jesus was saying about his own spiritual battle in this moment or uh, right before he goes to the cross, that statement of watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation and the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They're connected and they're both directed to the disciples. He's like, The spirit is willing to lead you through the temptations that you're about to face, but your flesh is so weak that you can't even stay awake for one hour, that you guys can't even pray for one hour with me. I'm about to do something that's going to give up my life for you guys, and I'm just asking you, stay awake, be alert, be watchful, don't fall asleep and pray. But your flesh is too weak, and once again, Jesus does the exact same thing he's telling them to do. He goes away. And he falls on his knees and he prays. Verse 42 says, he went away a second time and he prayed, Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. That, Father, 
Lord, if there's any other way for this cup to pass, Lord, let it be done. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Here it is. He's facing his, his temptation head to head through what? Prayer. He's praying for resilience. He's praying, Lord, I know that what's about to happen to me, I know it needs to happen so that this world can be saved. But Father, I'm scared. I know that it's going to be painful. I know that this is going to leave people wondering if what I said was true. Father, my flesh is feeling weak, but nevertheless, let your will be done, not mine. Because I know that the spirit inside of me is willing to do this if I just persevere, if I just have a little bit of resilience, if I just persevere a little bit longer, this will change the course of people's eternity. Church, he did that for them and he did that for you. And when you're tempted, you can't just hope it away. You have to go to battle. And as the keys goes ahead and comes up, you have to battle through prayer. You have to pray for resilience. You have to realize that you're in a battle. You have to call on the resources of heaven like Pastor Mark taught us where we say amen and we say amen. We trust him to provide and we trust whatever happens. That's what we have to do. And you have to make the decision just like Jesus chose to do, to walk away from temptation. And sometimes, sometimes temptation is the people that we surround ourselves with. Those people that say, hey man, it's okay, I know you had a tough week, just come with me to the bar. Sometimes you gotta be like, no man, I, I can't do that anymore. I gotta turn to something different because that's just a broken cistern that's leaving me thirsty for something else. And you gotta walk away. And the problem is why our flesh is so weak is that we don't have an eternal perspective. All we see is the short-term effects. But Jesus had that bigger perspective. He saw the long-term effect of what his mission was of him being here. So he went to the cross, regardless of how he was feeling mentally, of being scared and worried and worried about the pain. He pushed all of that to the side. And we like to use that phrase, die to yourself. But we like to say that. But Jesus literally went to the cross to die to himself. And he did it so that you don't have to re remain in the trap of temptation. And he did it because you've been trapped for too long. Because he came to set captives free and he resisted temptation for every single person in here. Because at any point when he was on that cross, when he was about to be handed over by Judas, at any point he could have called on 12 legions of angels and they would have came to his rescue. But he didn't. He was delivered into death so that you could be delivered into life. And church, you should be grateful for that. I'm eternally grateful for that. You should be willing to shout for that. You should be able to lift your hands for that. You should be able to tell people about Jesus because of this. And I know the battle against temptation is a hard battle. But let me give you some hope, church. 1 John 4, 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 1, 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive a crown, the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And I normally don't end my sermons like this, but listen, there's somebody in here this morning that needs this that are struggling with temptation. There's somebody in here that's been battling temptation under their own power and they are losing. And they're wondering why they keep losing. They're wondering why they can't get out of the trap. There's somebody that's been trapped for so long and you feel like there's no way out. And if that's you today, hear what I'm about to say. You don't have to be trapped any longer. In the name of Jesus Christ, be set free. 
cry out to him right now and he will hear your cries and he will answer you. He will open up his arms and you can just run to the Father and he will embrace you and give you a kiss because he loves you and he will forgive you of all of your sins. He will forgive you for giving into those temptations. He is your Father and he loves you and he sees you. Don't buy into the lies of the enemy that God isn't a good enough God. Listen, if you wanted to do something evil to me, and you just wanted to destroy me and tear me down, I'll tell you the secret. You don't want to know the secret to destroy Jace Hargrove? Go convince my son Elias that his father doesn't love him, that doesn't care about him, that doesn't want what's best for him. If you can convince my son for one second of that, you will destroy me. And that's what the enemy has done and tries to do to us. He tries to convince every single one of us in here that God doesn't love you, that God's not gonna provide for you, that God doesn't really care about your needs, that God doesn't really care about your wants. And I'm telling you, you don't have to buy the lie. You don't have to take the bait. You don't. He wants nothing more than to invite you into his family today.